worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 80th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And we have another urban legend for you guys this evening, the legend of the Jersey Devil. And Denise, this one was actually supposed to be a moment in oddity. I asked our research assistant, Phil, to help me out with it. And by the time he got done with his research and digging into the true history behind this tale, I went, you know what? This is its own show. So here we are. And we will find out. Is it really an urban legend or could it possibly? Hmm. You know, I had no idea that the Jersey Devil was based in a lot of fact and based on some real people and a real family. And it's New England with all of its wonderful superstitions (laughs) that we've been talking about when it came to the vampire craze Or the Salem Witch Trials. (laughs) The Jersey Devil. So here we go with another one. (laughs) So you have to wonder if they get enough sun up there. I don't know if it was just because the population seemed to be more in that area because that's where the colonies got started and where America basically got started. St. Augustine is the oldest city in America and... We don't have no Salem witches and all of that going on down here. We're weird, but, you know, we have like weird Florida, but we don't have all that other stuff. No, we have some really, we just have crazy Florida man down here. (laughs) We all have the stupid criminals and stuff. Well, we have criminals, but we don't have crazes. Well, no, not not like New England. It is definitely a, a rarity when it comes to that kind of thing. Before we get into talking about the Jersey Devil, we do want to point you over at our website. HistoryGoesBump.com has everything you could possibly want to know about the show. And we are adding in a new option. It will be coming soon. Some of you may have already heard that Google has decided to get into the podcast game. And now Google Play is going to start putting podcasts up. I did all the back-end stuff that we need to do to send the feed over there. So it is ready to go whenever Google Play launches their podcasting stuff, which I'm hoping is in the next week or two. We'll let you guys know when we do find out for sure that it's ready to go. And Denise, if anybody wants to contact us via email, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And boy, did we have a lot of people join us coming through the Halloween season in the Spooktacular crew. We have your lucky number, Denise. 13. All right, here we go. We want to welcome Frankie. Hey, Frankie. Aaron. Aaron. Terry. Hi, Terry. Adam. 
Hi, Adam. Aaron, and this is an Aaron with an E, so this is a girl. The other Aaron was a boy. Okay. Hello, Aaron. Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Michaela. Michaela, welcome. Paul. Welcome, Paul. Michael. Hi, Michael. Ray. Hey, Ray. David. Hello, David. Krista. Hi, Krista. And Cynthia. Hello, Cynthia. Woohoo! And Denise, I tell you, October was an incredible, amazing month for our podcast. And thank you to our listeners and our research crew for making it possible. Absolutely. Without you all, we could not have done what happened. So and I hope it doesn't come off as bragging. But last month in September, I know we're into November now, but in September, we had a little over 15,000 downloads. And I had wanted to, everybody would love to double their downloads, but I at least wanted to get to 20,000. Well, we hit 40,688 downloads in October. That was almost all of our listens in our first year in total. <laughs> Yay, thank you all. And part of what helped us do that is we actually made it onto the front page of iTunes in two different locations. And one of them, we're still there. They have a scary stories collection on the front page, which we are a part of. And then they had for Halloween, for about a week and a half, they had Happy Halloween, and we were in the little row there. So that really helped. We climbed all the way to number 12 in the history genre on iTunes. That is so cool. And just again, thank you so much to our listeners, to our research crew, for the people who support us. You all are the heartbeat of History Goes Bump, so thank you. And we also had something amazing happen. We got to speak before a group. So we want to thank Nicole and Glimpses of the Soul for inviting us to speak for their meetup. Yes, that was a lot of fun. And Nicole, it was fantastic meeting you and uh, meeting your, your group. So that was that was a lot of fun. It was History Goes Bump live on stage. Yeah, it wasn't really a stage, but we were we couldn't hide behind microphones. <laughs> but we had a great time and I enjoyed getting my feet wet in that. So we'd love to do that again. And I think it prepares us for actually hosting tours. Absolutely. Speaking of tours, we are going to go to St. Augustine yet again. We had a listener contact us and say, hey, I'm going to be in town in St. Augustine. I'd love to meet you guys. And we said, well, we love St. Augustine, so we'll come up there. And, oh, we have uh, to go. Yeah, I know. It's twisting our arms. Oh, man. And I asked her, hey, do you mind if we invite other people? And she said, hey, that's more fun. So on November 22nd, we're going to St. Augustine. So if you guys are going to be in the area, let us know. We haven't decided on exactly which tour we're going to do. But uh, it's guaranteed to be fun. It'll probably be one that we've already done before. And so far, we've always had a great one. So, And this is the year 2015, just in case you are listening yes. in archive. And we pumped out a ton of content in October. Now, of course, that's all going to change. We are going to be pulling back production. And we probably are not going to up it again until I can start moving my full-time business into more of a part-time business and then doing this more part-time. It just... Even with the extra help, it literally almost killed us. I think that's part of the reason why we both ended up sick. So until we can do this part-time, we're going to keep going with a, a little less of a production schedule like most of the podcasts that are out there. Also, we got a couple of iTunes reviews, Denise. Yay, we like reviews. We got our first Canadian one. Yay. Eh? Oh, Canada. Oh, my. <laughs> Spooky five star from Cheesy Dork. Cheesy Dork. Okay. <laughs> Diane and Denise bring spooky entertainment to their historical subjects with a terrific banter that makes you feel like you are part of a family telling ghost stories around the campfire. 
Thanks so much, Cheesy Dork, for that. We greatly appreciate it. And we don't think you're <laughs> cheesy so at all. so disrespectful. Thanks, Cheesy Dork. Thank you, Cheesy Dork. <laughs> well, just like, I can't remember what the other one was, and it sounded like we were calling the person a name. I know. It's like, no, that's really, it's really what it says here. And our other one is from Dane Gray. Fun and informative five star. I'm so glad iTunes featured this podcast on their happy Halloween recommendations. I love history and I love creepy tales. I have binge listened for the past four days. And just listen to the one-year anniversary episode. I actually was walking home at night from Halloween shopping and was totally creeped out from the Urban Legends episode. The hosts are endearing and love how informative they are. Plus, they are both big Disney fans, so they earn extra points with me. Woohoo! We like Disney, that is for sure. And I shouldn't tell you, Denise, I started following a guy over on Twitter because he does artwork where he zombifies things. And as a special thank you to me, he sent me the American Gothic picture, Zombified which is very cool. I did retweet it. So if you're following us on Twitter, you will see it there. And then I said, well, you know, I noticed it looked like you had some Disney stuff too. So then he sent me a bunch of those and you've got, uh, I believe it was Woody and Buzz Lightyear, Jesse. I saw Snow White, (laughs) all zombified. (laughs) Well, sort of like the picture that was posted on Facebook or in the Spooktacular crew where it was like all the spooky movies but it was like donald goofy and mickey and i'm like that's kind of cool and disturbing at the same time i will have to say the same about zombied beloved disney characters that have been zombified <laughs> that's like kind of cool but it's quite disturbing at the same time well i believe his handle is league of one if anybody wants to check out his stuff and you know what denise Uh, Philip Childers helped us with our research for today's show. And I think he probably would think that's pretty cool because, you know, he does host the Hateful Dead podcast. Just as long as I leave my Princess Tiana alone. All right. Are you ready to get into the Jersey Devil? I most certainly am. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. There was a time in the 1930s when blizzards blew across the heartland that were not the typical white snow blizzards. These storms were called black blizzards. Droughts had ravaged the country since 1931 and the topsoil had eroded and there was no moisture to hold it down. The results were what we commonly call the Dust Bowl. In 1934, a storm rose out of the Great Plains. It was a wall of dirt and dust, and it gained strength as it traveled east. The wall rose to 10,000 feet high. The sun was completely blotted out, and the air was suffocating. 350 million tons of dirt were captured in the cloud. Even the lights of New York were dimmed by this black blizzard for five hours. The storm had traveled 1,500 miles. Ships out to sea even found dirt on their decks. Black blizzards are a meteorological phenomenon and a definite weather oddity. Yo. 
You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? This day in history. On this day, November 4th, in 1879, James Ritty, a saloon owner, patents the first cash register. James was born on October 29, 1836, in Dayton, Ohio, and had been a first lieutenant during the Civil War with the 4th Ohio Volunteer Cavalry. After attaining the rank of captain, he left to pursue other options and finally settled on saloon owner in 1871. Business was great, but James soon found that his employees were not honorable and they were stealing from him. He desired to find a way to keep them honest. He remembered seeing a machine on board a ship that counted how many times the propeller went around and he was convinced that this same type of machine could keep track of his sails. He asked his brother, who was a mechanic, to help him, and by the time they were done, they'd invented the first cash register. James called the machine Riddy's Incorruptible Cashier. This original cash register did not have a cash drawer. It basically kept track of the sales and how much each sale was worth, and thus he knew for sure if any employees were dipping into the cash. He started a company manufacturing the registers, but it was unsuccessful. Not many business owners were interested. James sold the patent, and John H. Patterson turned James's invention into a fortune. In 1884, Patterson founded the National Cash Register Company. James went back to the bar business, never knowing the impact his machine would have in merchandising. Many people, particularly those that live in New England, have heard the story about the Jersey Devil. The tale about a mother giving birth to a devil baby is not totally unique in history. Even in our modern era, we have had movies like Rosemary's Baby. Is this just another urban legend, or is there some real history behind this tale of the Jersey Devil? Was this really more of a religious dispute that spawned a story to destroy a family name? We'll explore the superstitions that existed in the area around the idea that devil babies could be born and cover the various sightings that have continued far past what would be a reasonable lifespan. Come with us as we look at the legend of the Jersey Devil. This legend begins with the Leeds family, who lived in New Jersey in an area known today as Atlantic County. Atlantic County was once called Egg Harbor Township, and its boundaries were mostly water. The Little Egg Harbor River to the north, the Great Egg Harbor River to the south, and the Atlantic Ocean to the east. The district was established in 1693, so this is an old area. Very much so. It was in this area that Daniel Leeds bought a piece of land that came to be known as Leeds Point and continues to have that name to this day. The Pine Barrens are also a part of this area that is today still a largely undeveloped forested area. Daniel Leeds had been born in 1651 in Stansted Mount Fitchett, Oodlesford, Essex, England. His father emigrated to America, and Daniel followed him in 1676, landing in Burlington, New Jersey. He had married a woman in England before he immigrated, and it is believed that she died before he came. We were unable to identify any records about her, so we're not sure what her name was, when they got married, when she died, or how she died. But we do know that he did have a wife before he came here. After moving to Burlington, he married Anne Stacy in 1681. It is believed that Daniel worked as a counselor to Lord Cornbury during this time. Lord Cornbury was Edward Hyde, 3rd Earl of Clarendon. 
He became the governor of New York and New Jersey from 1701 to 1708 and apparently had a penchant for cross-dressing. Some of Daniel's duties included surveying the land. In the same year that they married, the Leeds had a daughter that they named for his wife, Anne. It was shortly after the birth of baby Anne that Daniel lost his second wife. The baby soon followed her in death. It would take only a year for Daniel's heart to be stolen again, and he married Dorothy Young in 1683. The two had eight children together. It was at this point that Daniel bought the future Leeds Point, which was considered the highest point of land between the highlands and capes of Virginia. So this guy has really seen a lot of death up until this point. He's already had three wives. Now, if this was Hollywood, that would just be typical. (laughs) But back in this time, it was just lifespans were not very long. In 1687, Daniel began publishing an almanac. He was a Quaker and so came from a religious background that had broken away from the Church of England and believed in a more personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Quakers considered themselves all to be of the priesthood, and at this time were very pious and not open to other belief systems, particularly if they were intermingled with their own. Daniel had found that astrology was an asset to his writing for the almanac, so he included it in his almanac. Most of his friends were Quakers, and they heartily disagreed with Daniel going this route. When William Bradford published the Almanac, the Quakers began to call it pagan and destroyed all the copies that were not already in circulation. Daniel, of course, took this very hard, left the religion, and began more extensive work on his Almanac. He continued publishing these Almanacs until 1716, and then he turned over the operation to his sons Felix and Titan. In 1688, Daniel published The Temple of Wisdom. The book dealt with topics ranging from angels to natural magic to astrology to the behavior of devils. Rumors were widespread that the Leeds family were dealing with things of the devil and they themselves could be cursed. Things get so bad that George Fox, who founded Quakerism, wrote an answer to The Temple of Wisdom called Satan's Harbinger Encountered. The pamphlet actually accuses Daniel Leeds of working with the devil. Daniel's third wife, Dorothy, passed away in 1699. Daniel married a fourth woman, Jane Abbott Smout, who had been twice widowed herself. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Yeah, so here is where we're getting into the religious dispute now. The Quakers, these aren't Puritans, but they're not very far removed from the Puritans. And they made oats. Don't forget that. <laughs> you know, I just knew when I brought up Quakers <laughs> that we'd get back into the oats discussion again. You're the one who asked what they were known for <laughs> in many, many podcasts to go. Despite the fact that they were supposed to be peaceful people... Uh, They weren't very peaceful when it came to Daniel. And, you know, it's one thing to say, we don't agree with what you're doing and you need to just step away from our religion. But now they're actually accusing him of working with the devil. You know, he sold his soul to the devil. So this is the same thing that we watched with the Salem witch trials. These are women that are working with the devil because he was using a different process. Now, I may not necessarily agree with some of the stuff that he might have been getting involved in, especially of the occult variety. 
But just because he's starting to look at astrology and maybe paying a little bit of attention to what's going on with the stars and that kind of thing, I don't know. I just can't believe that they would come down on him this hard. But because they are doing this, keep in mind now we're getting these rumors that are going around about this Leeds family and that they are somehow in league with the devil because of what they're doing here. You know, it is interesting that that actually happens a lot. It seems that any belief system, whether it's religious or otherwise, it gets extreme. And we've talked about this before, starts to lead. It's like they always say they're peaceful, but as long as you're one of them. If you're outside of that religion, it's usually just the opposite, that they're not peaceful, there's rumors, there's just all the discrimination and everything that goes along with that, and then sometimes to accusations, which can be very, very dangerous, especially back in those times. And keep in mind what almanacs were for. They were supposed to help with farming and predicting what the weather was going to do. And I'm wondering how accurate his stuff was coming across, and maybe... There was some jealousy there. Who knows? I mean, we could speculate about all kinds of things that there was a people just didn't like the way he was doing it or jealous of what he was doing, that he was successful with these almanacs. But one thing is for sure, we have some rumors going on here that are going to feed into what happens here in the future. The battle between the Quakers and the Leeds continued until 1716 when Daniel handed everything over to his son. So it was kind of like, well, he's done publishing the almanac, so now we'll leave it alone. And then something peculiar happened that might have helped fuel the legend further. Titan, who was one of his sons, redesigned the almanac and added the Leeds family crest. And the family crest was quite interesting. And for those of you who know a little something about the Jersey Devil, which we'll describe in just a moment, this may sound rather familiar. The crest featured a dragon-like creature with bat wings and claws. So that's very peculiar particularly when we're getting ready to talk here about the Jersey Devil. So the family crest seems to be representing what could possibly be a depiction of this creature. So is it that the family had chosen this as their crest just because it was unique looking? Was it something that had some kind of particular meaning because of their occult persuasions? Was it because they had chosen this that the townsfolk are going to start feeding into this Jersey devil. Who knows? Daniel died in 1720, and there's no record that he and his fourth wife had any children, which is important as we're figuring out this legend. Titan gets into a feud with, of all people, Benjamin Franklin in the 1730s. If you're going to feud, you might as well feud with somebody pretty pretty popular. (laughs) Make it a big name. Now, of course, most likely these guys were in this dispute because they were producing competing almanacs, because I think most people are aware that Benjamin Franklin published Little Richard's Almanac. So these two almanacs are competing with each other. And again, I'm wondering if they're pretty accurate from the Leeds family, and that might be part of the issue. Franklin claimed that he had a premonition that Titan would die, and he had an even, he had a date October 17th in 1733. So imagine if somebody is a competing publication and they decide to write that you're going to die on this specific date. That's not only some cojones, but wow, that's worse than running somebody's name through the mud, I would think, in that time. Yeah, because it would almost, even if it was just a premonition or you thought you'd gotten a message, it would almost feel like a threat as well. Sure. I mean, why would you even say that and put a date down? That would feel very threatening. 
Titan actually died in 1738, so it was five years later, but Franklin continued to mock him even after his death. It was after Titan's death that the legend of the Jersey Devil is going to be born, and I have to just throw in, our research assistants occasionally throw their own little notes in with things, and Phil had said, well, we basically find out that Benjamin Franklin's an asshole, (laughs) 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 which uh, apparently he is. (laughs) We know he was a lot more than just that. He was definitely a bad boy. The Pine Barrens that we mentioned earlier are the home for the Jersey Devil tales and sightings. The Little Egg Harbor River is known today as the Malika River, and I'm sure one of our listeners is going <laughs> to let me know how I pronounced or did not pronounce that one correctly. Believe me, Denise, if we got it wrong, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we adore them. They help us It's either Malika it. or Malika. I'm not sure where the emphasis is. Oh, well, if you, if you know, please let us know. The cedars that line the... They, they say things strange in Joyzy anyway. You guys tell us in Joyzy how you say Molika. <laughs> <laughs> and now we got Diane going on accents again. Woohoo! <clears throat> the cedars that line the river stain it a blood red, giving it an eerie tinge. The area is full of bogs from which iron has been harvested. This helped in the production of ammunition during the Revolutionary War. It's easy to believe that a bizarre creature could be inhabiting these woods that also play home to the legendary white stag. The common tale that is told about the birth of the Jersey Devil is that a woman named Mother Leeds gave birth to the Jersey Devil in 1735. To match this with the true history we know, this would be a grandchild to Daniel Leeds. Jaffet Leeds was married to a woman named Deborah, and he named 12 children in his will. Possibly they were the parents of the child of legend. Mother Leeds already had 12 children, and this would be her 13th. She was not pleased. She was poor and couldn't feed the children she already had, so she declared, let it be a devil. When the child was born, it was horribly deformed or became horribly deformed before several witnesses and actually crawled away from the womb and up the chimney. Some accounts claim the creature attacked a couple of people before escaping. In the legends that are told, all they ever say is mother leads. You don't know who she's married to, who the father is, or anything. But in order, I mean, you have the leads name. This is a real family. They really lived during this time. So there has to be some kind of reality there. And Jaffet would have been a brother to a Titan. So it makes you wonder if he's got 12 children that he's named in his will. Was there a 13th child born? And is there a reason why that 13th child would not be named? So it's a possibility that this is the one... We're speculating when we say that. So I don't know who Mother Leeds actually was, who she was married to, and who these children were. And for all we know, again, it's an urban legend. The whole thing could have been made up and used a real family name. Exactly. And then there's our magical number 13 again that everybody likes to throw out if they want it to be creepy or evil. The Jersey Devil is described as looking like a horse with a huge leathery bat wings horns, forked tail, and clawed front legs that are very short. Its eyes glow red. The creature gives off a blood-curdling scream. Sightings of the Jersey Devil foretell bad things coming. Shipwrecks and storms follow sightings. The first documented sighting occurred in 1859. There was another in 1873 and another in 1880. Even Napoleon's brother claimed to have seen the creature while hunting. In 1909, sightings took off and thousands were reported, many of them landing in the Philadelphia record. 
The report started in January when a man named Zach Cousins reported seeing it on a roadside. He described the experience by saying, quote, I first heard a hissing sound, then something white flew across the street. I saw two spots of phosphorus, the eyes of the beast. It was as fast as an auto, end quote. Animal mutilations followed sightings. After that year, no one reported seeing the Jersey Devil until 1927. And then the tale seemed to go dead until 1951, when a young boy claimed to see the monster outside his window dripping in blood. After that, people claimed to hear unearthly cries coming from the forest. In 1966, Stephen Silcotch's farm was apparently visited by the Jersey Devil, and his animals were torn apart. People venture to Leeds Point to catch a glimpse of the creature, and there are still claims that something is living in those woods that is not a common woodland animal. Devil babies have cropped up in many legends. The Jersey Devil is not unique. In New Orleans, there was the Devil Baby of Bourbon Street, and there was the Devil Baby of Hull House, which we visited in Chicago and talked about on that podcast. Stories abound of the devil impregnating women and giving birth to his spawn. Popular culture has given us Rosemary's Baby and Damien of the Omen. But is there any truth to these stories, and why did people believe that the devil could impregnate women? The theories would have to originate in the Bible with the Nephilim. In the Bible, the fallen angels that took sides with Lucifer are believed to have desired women and taken them as wives before the great flood. Those women gave birth to the Nephilim, who were the giants and men of renown. So they would have basically been devil babies. So they could be very real depending on your belief system. The Great Flood was mainly meant to destroy these creatures. The Christians in New England would be familiar with these stories, and so superstitions and legends would easily be started. Most of these legends about devil babies seem to have taken hold in the 1800s when so many other beliefs and ideas about the spirit world began. Yeah, it's not an original story to hear the devil or some kind of demon impregnating a woman, and then you have a demon baby or something like that being born. You know, and the reason why we, we brought in the Nephilim is to talk about that this is something that is a reality. It's not just some urban legend, that there is this possibility that fallen angels can impregnate human women, and that it did happen before in the past. So the possibility of it happening again is tangible. But then there's the very real possibility of birth defects. So remember, this is, we don't hear anywhere in here that Mother Leeds is cavorted with a demon or Satan and had a baby. She basically cursed the baby herself, saying, you know, I'm pregnant again, let it just be a devil. And then it's born and it's reportedly deformed. Does that make it a demon baby? Well, no, definitely not. In our current era, we have seen everything and know all about the various medical conditions that could make a baby appear to be some kind of a monster. Could it be the children that were accused of being the devil's spawn were really just normal human beings who got a bad break in the gene pool? Eugenics was taking root during the same time, and there was a very popular call to get rid of those that were less than perfect. America has a very dark history, just as most of the world does, when it comes to people who were born different. Freak shows cropped up everywhere, giving these people who were different in some way a place to call home and be gawked at by those who didn't understand genetics. The Jersey Devil could very well have been a deformed child that was hidden away and rumors were started. 
the same thing when we went to the whole house, the devil baby. All of these make you start sitting there going, you know, this probably were, these were just deformed children or they could have been mentally handicapped. And that's all that was going on there. And yet this is how they were being ostracized. Well, right, because they would start looking at accounts, you know, of claws and stuff. And I actually, a teacher that I absolutely adored when I was in junior high school, so I guess what some people call middle school now, but she, um, when she was born, her fingers fused together, so both of her hands looked more like, like claws. She just had, like, two different hands, so it pinched together. And so, you know, with her, I mean, of course, we know about birth defects and stuff when she was born, but back in these days, would she have been considered because she had like claws and, you know, hooves or whatever? um, There was a a freak in the uh, freak shows called Lobster Boy, I believe. Right, which probably had the same condition. And and so you just wonder, and then the whole story about it crawling up the chimney and disappearing was because they just took it away and you had to have it leave because they couldn't let, you know, you couldn't let other people know you were harboring such a thing in your house. But, you know, thank God for advances and stuff. I just think of the people already because I work with a lot of people with different different challenges in their lives and to think of what they go through with everything we know today and just think about these poor kids that were born back in those days and what they had to go through it just uh mm-hmm. so was the Jersey Devil just a tall tale was the Jersey Devil just a hoax is this just yet another urban legend Was the story spawned by a group of people out to ruin the good name of the Leeds family? We may never know, but we wouldn't recommend walking through the Pine Barrens alone. Does the Jersey Devil exist? That is for you to decide. I wouldn't walk through any wooded, forested (laughs) bog that's barren (laughs) alone anyway, you know. No, she takes all of us with her when we're up at St. Augustine. In the dark. Hey, I'm going to go down this path. Here we go. You know, I was listening to Darkness Radio, and they had a guy on there who was talking about some experiences he had at St. Augustine Lighthouse. And he had actually communicated with one of the girls there that was the 15-year-old. Oh, wow. So I thought that was kind of, I was like, well, that's the one place that we've had, we had an experience. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, Denise, our next show, Stephen Pappas is going to be joining us, and we're going to be talking about a location that's in his state there, the Biltmore Estate. Ooh, that just sounds creepy. Well, it, it is, I believe, America's largest house. Okay, for a moment you had me scared. I thought you were going to say, I believe it's America's most, most haunted. haunted house. <laughs> like, I don't oh, know no. about that, but I do know that it probably has the most rooms of any home in oh, America. Wow. Very cool. So that should be very interesting. Well, we do want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of this episode have been Levi Drescher, Rachel Cooper, Dan Foytick, Janice Carlson, Patty Henry, Stephen Pappas, Jade Lewis, Heather Williams, Dave and Ann Student, Amy Connor, Tanya Turner, Nicole Johnson, April Rogers-Crick, Leanna Sapien, Leanne, Laura Davis, and Seth Crawford. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bumble. Listen 
the M Writing Podcast. Society 13. Rebuilding society. One podcast at a time. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Thank you.